Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Thanks, Gary. Well, retirement is treating you well, Gary, wherever you went. Uh, well, good afternoon, everybody. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter. We've got a couple more weeks in it. And um, today he's talking about how we do family as a church. And Peter's mind, when he thinks of church, he doesn't really see organized religion. It was too early in the game to have that. What he, what he really sees is family. And the reason that we know this is if we go back to chapter 1, he starts off the whole thing by talking about God as Father. For him, he understood that God was a Father, and he created the world, uh, and he wanted the world to be his family. And as we've sinned and done things wrong and gone astray, he's come after us in his Son. And the Son who has everything the Father has given him, wants to share that with us. And so he came after us. He died for us. He loves us, and he wants to bring us home. And the Holy Spirit is giving that love back and forth. And so Peter's imagination when he thinks of the church, and for them it was a church that was scattered and exiled and being persecuted, as he saw them as a family. And they saw them as God's family. He also had a, a mind that was full of the Old Testament and knew the warnings of the Old Testament when it came to leaders and, and, and the people of Israel. He knew the passages in Ezekiel that talked about the shepherds who tended the flock of Israel and how they used them and abused them and took advantage of them and how God came after and judged those, those shepherds. And that he promised one day he would send a shepherd with his heart who would bring his family home and who would tend them with his love and his grace and his mercy. And so that's in Peter's mind as he writes this passage. But it's also echoing in there is the idea that, that there's a risk here when it comes to being the church of God. And that is... We will either be a church that pleases God and enjoys his favor or a church that kind of rebels against God and God opposes. In Ezekiel chapter 9 and 10, there's a picture of God bringing his judgment upon Israel and starting with the older men who were doing the work of the temple. In the next chapter, chapter 10, the Spirit of God leaves the temple in one of the saddest chapters of the whole Bible. The idea that the glory of God had departed. And I've been in ministry for over 25 years now, and 16 of them are here with you. But I had been in churches where there wasn't a lot of favor. Where it feel, felt like it was people fighting with each other to run their sort of civic religious group. Fighting over the color of the carpet, fighting over this or that. I remember the first church that hired me, and I'd only been a Christian for two years, and uh, I didn't know anything. I needed Gary's, uh, Gary's Bible school. And uh, actually, I was at his school, and he was teaching me back then. But 
But I remember in my youth and my arrogance and in my zeal just thinking, man, all these people this church are dead. You know, because that was sort of the language. This is a dead church. Um, and I thought they were just spiritually dead by choice. They just wanted to play church. And, and over the time of being there for three years, I learned that these people loved God and they, they wanted to worship God and they wanted to serve God. They wanted the glory of God to fill that church, but the leadership of that church really wasn't interested in those things. We were running a religious organization. And so if the Holy Spirit wanted to come in and do something, he'd have to take a number or come through the back door. And it was then that, I, that the words of Jesus, sheep without a shepherd, like echoed in my ear. That we don't look at churches as denominations or, you know, the people with the bad theology or the right theology or the big is good and small is bad or vice versa. But these are the people of God. And God gives leaders to the church to shepherd, to care, to heal, and, and to help them pursue all that God wants them to be. And in Imago, we even enjoy God's favor in a lot of ways. Starting off in my living room with a small group of people, and through the years, God's done beautiful things in us and through us. But I, but I often think how difficult it was in those days in some of those churches, and how sad it would be if Ezekiel 9, Ezekiel 10, that picture of God's favor departing from us ever happened. And so when we, when we come to this passage today, Peter is going to speak to the elders. And when he's speaking to elders, it's specific to elders of the church, but it's also broader. It's, uh, it's for any of you who are elders or pastors or deacons, if you're leading in a capacity, if you're shepherding people, then this message is for you. But he's also going to talk to those of you who aren't leading. And how do we live together as a family full of sinners? If you're in a family, you know that experience, right? None of you are in families? <laughs> That's crazy. How do you all get here? It's not, it's not an easy one, but he gives us instruction. And so with that in mind, today it is kind of my hope that as we sit together in this, not only will we get a picture of what it means to do life together, but we would be humble enough in our hearts to follow Christ into his vision for what it means to be the people of God. So read with me in chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll go through this. To the elders among you, I urge you as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being example to the flock. And then, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. As Peter writes this, he writes this, and he practices, really, his humility. He says, I write to you as a, as a fellow elder. 
If I was Peter, you know, I would say, I write to you as an apostle, and I'm Peter, and I'm going to be a saint, so do what, you know, (laughs) like you would try to play a little bit of a trump card, it seems, but he's just like, I'm one of you. What's also echoing in his mind is Peter, who we recognize he's one who denied Christ and walked with Christ for three and a half years, and yet in his moment where he's arrested and suffering and crucified, Peter sort of fled. And yet what, when he was restored by Jesus after the resurrection, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, I love you. And he said, well, feed my sheep. He said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And at the third time, his heart's kind of broke, you know, like, you're hurting my feelings. You know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. And he's restoring those three denials with these three calls to ministry. And calls to lead. And, and yet the call is, if Jesus is the chief shepherd, and all of us are his flock, then Peter, will you help me? Will you feed? Will you care? Will you tend my flock? In a way that brings them to life and, makes, and brings them home to me. So as Peter writes this, those instructions are are kind of percolating in his heart. And he's writing to these leaders. And he has positive and negative. He sort of compares and contrasts these, these things. So if you're here today and you fit into any kind of category of leadership, these words are for us to hear, for us to break into our heart and to shape the type of leader that we are. And he says, Be shepherd, shepherds of God's flock under your care. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. One of the most important things in Peter's mind is that we would understand that that this isn't my church. This isn't the church of any other leader. That this this is God's church. And that we're part of his flock. And so what we're doing is, if we're in leadership, we're working under God with God, participating with him to care for the thing that he holds most dear, and that's you, and that's his people. And so when pastors uh, kind of overthrow that idea of this is God's flock, and they talk about it as my flock, people do this all the time in ministry. If you go to a pastor's conference, my people, my people are this, my people are that. It's like bragging about your Uh, kids in Little League, like when they're seven or something, he's like, my son hits a home run. So you would think if you left a pastor's conference, you think these are the most incredible churches in the world. Like his people do this and his people do that. And yet you show up and it's like a room full of sinful people just like you. And um, it's, you know, it just is what it is. We have church planners who will come and go, hey, give me a hundred people so I can plan a church. And I'm like, I don't own a hundred people. Like, everyone comes voluntarily, gives voluntarily, serves voluntarily. Um, but today I'm going to, everyone in the balcony, I need you to go. I'm just, see, you, would, you just waved a finger at me. I'm not sure which one it was. Um, but it's this mindset that if I'm in leadership, then these people, like, they owe these things to me, they're mine, I'm an authority over them, and then it gets to their head. And really all that is is just insecurity. That if I can't 
if I can't lead you with how beautiful and gracious and loving Jesus is, then I'm going to do it through guilt, shame, and power. And the church is bad at that. And we get bad at that. And so Peter starts off right away just reminding these leaders, look, it's not your flock. It's God's flock. And you're, you're going to come underneath God to, to, to shepherd people that are under your care, which means God sort of like... Um, if you were managing a big project and you took a a really important part of that project and you you gave it to someone to kind of help lead, but it was still all under yours, that's what he's saying. And and so you're going to answer to God for how you cared for his flock. And they're not yours. And he says, not because you must, but because you are willing I think this was one of the most challenging things for me. When we started Imago, we, we, were, we were small. We, we didn't think we'd be a big church. And I remember we grew pretty quickly in those first few years. And I remember um, on a Sunday before church, and I was down at the waterfront. I came in early. It was sunny, so it must have been the summer. Um, and I remember journaling, and I, I didn't want to go to church. I was just dreading coming to church. I mean, some of you feel that way at times, and you stay home. I have to be here. Otherwise, you know, there's just a lot of dead air for 30 minutes or so. And so, but, but, but what I felt like is that I was, I, was, I was preaching this gospel. I was talking about how amazing, like, God is and what he could do in your life. I felt like a guy who was, uh, like, uh, r- driving a bus and I was saying, get on this bus, it'll take you to the greatest place in the world, it'll change your life, it's, it's a, the greatest party, it's transformational, it's beautiful. And people were getting on the bus and they're going, you're right, this is incredible. But I wasn't on the bus. I was just clipping tickets for people to get on the bus. And it was during one of these moments where I felt like guilty for planning the church, like now I'm stuck with this church. And I didn't think it would grow. I thought it would fail, and then I could go, like, to California and make lots of money or something. And now I'm, like, stuck with a bus full of people that are excited, but I'm not even on it. And, and what happened is that not because you must thing. It was this realization of God wanting to teach me that, Rick, I didn't call you to use you, but to love you. And so if you're going to be the bus driver, well, you know, bag bad metaphor but if you're going to be in this you need to be the lead worshiper right not the guy clipping tickets people will come and say well how i remember thinking how am i going to please all these people i can't be all their friends i can't know all of them i'm just going to disappoint everybody and and hearing a pastor talk about look quit trying to please everybody try to please jesus please jesus and then see how that goes and so it's this long learning process like a lot of leaders get discipled learn their deepest transformation by giving themselves away to other people he says don't don't do this because you must do it because you're willing it's not because there's a need even or or because you know you think it'll make you look good or spiritual or people will be impressed with you or because your parents you know, had this dream that you'd be, uh, you know, a leader in the church one day. Don't do it for those reasons. Do it because you've tasted something of Christ. 
You've experienced something of this transformation. You want that for other people. Do it because you're called and you get to, not because you have to. And then he says, do it as God wants you to be, that willingness. I really, I really do think that within Christianity in America, particularly Protestants and evangelicals, we, they, we justify everything if somebody comes to faith. And so what we would do is like do very unbiblical leadership models and very unbiblical uh, ch- you know, church kind of events or whatever it would be just to, to get that one person to receive Christ as opposed to saying this, that how we do what we do is more important than what we do it, where we do it, and what gets done. Like it needs to be in the dust of Jesus. It needs to have his fingerprints on it. And, and, and so that the being willing that this is God's thing and we need to do it his way. And I'll tell you the truth, that way is not always popular. And it's definitely not the easiest way. And most of the time it's a, a path of suffering. And it's a glory that comes through suffering. That's what Peter's whole message has been to us. But it is the way that leads to life. It is the narrow way. It is the way of Christ. And so it's really important that in our minds uh, we wouldn't sell out for worldly success. And I think that's why he goes to the next verse, which is not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Dishonest gain can kind of work both ways. We've all seen the uh, kind of health and wealth gospel, and, and the pastors need to have lots of money and lots of success because if they're doing good, then whatever they're selling must be working. And so uh, they kind of do it that way. And what happens is if you're going to do that and try to just gain a big crowd that will give lots of money, you got to tell people what they want to hear for the most part. And so there's a dishonesty to that gain. How do you tell someone uh, that Christ says, hey, pick up your cross and follow him, die to yourself, right? Uh, There's hard truth that makes soft hearts, and the leader has to be able to speak that. And so he's saying, don't sell out and do this thing to make money or to take advantage of people. There's also a flip side to that, is that don't be bought out. In other words, people that come to you with money and with power or with influence, that you would, that you would change your message, that you would speak less truthfully, that you would, you, would, you would give away the gospel agenda for their agenda because they offer you money or they offer you power or they offer you influence. He's saying don't do that either. And in America, we, we are people who believe that our money gets us what we want. So you often hear at times, well, I'll, I'll leave the church and I'll take my money with me. And, and that's supposed to make the leader cower and quit leading and do what this person wants. And that's arrogant, man. That's not, that's not how we do family. So don't be bought out either. Don't be bought out either. That's not how this works. But be eager to serve. And the eagerness is, is about motive. Why are you leading what you're leading? I wasn't raised in the church, so 
I didn't know what a pastor was growing up. We had, I had no framework for that. In fact, when the guy gave me my first Bible, I wrote youth pasture, and I thought I was a sheep and he was the pasture. And I didn't know, I didn't know why they kept saying that, but it was like, this guy's a pasture, I guess, and I'm a sheep. And I was trying to make sense of it all. And uh, it's still in that Bible, too. As you open it up, it's really funny. It's like, youth pasture, huh? It's like, a, it's very small grass. Um, <laughs> but, but, I, but literally, I could have become, you know, like the Pope or something. And my parents wouldn't even, nobody in my family would care. So it's not like it means anything. So I didn't have that framework, but I, but I have been amazed at, at many of you who have ra- been raised in the church and people in ministry. And, and, and rather than it being something that you're motivated to lead and being eager and willing, you're just chasing a ghost. Like there's a voice in the back of your head that told you if you were a good Christian, you'd end up like doing ministry full time. Or you'd be an elder at a church, or you'd be this or that. And, and it's not coming from willingness or eagerness to serve. It's coming because you really want, you know, you want a title. And, and somewhere in your past, it, it's just gotten twisted that that means you're a good Christian or something. Or you're close to God, or you're important, or you fulfilled your duty to your family. And, and you don't need to be that here. We're not big on titles at Imago. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, and some churches are. You call them pastor so-and-so or whatever it is. In my estimation, it is a, a pastor is a relationship. And so I either am or am not that to you. And that would be true of all our pastors and elders. We either are in that relationship or we're not. But we don't need to just slap a title on it. And if you have to demand the title, then there's a good chance that you are not actually a pastor, right? If you are requiring people call you that, it must be because we can't recognize it just by looking at you, if that makes sense. There are churches where they make you wear little things that say elder so-and-so, but that's usually because they're like 18 and you can't tell they're an elder. Um, I'm just kidding. We love Mormons, but that's, you got it's kind of funny. Never got the whole elder thing. All right. I didn't say that. <laughs> I, I didn't say I was a good pastor. I just said I was a pastor. That eagerness to serve, if you've been leading for a while, it is something that, that, that ebbs and flows. I think part of it is that um, you get burned out over time. I mean, everybody, we have so many, we have hundreds of leaders here, and we have elders and pastors and people who have worked voluntarily for like 10 plus years to, to help Imago become what God wants it to be. And there's seasons, I mean, they have jobs and they have families and they have friends and they have stuff too that they like to go do. And, and we get tired. And I think part of that is the understanding that God calls us to rest and to take breaks and to pull back. It's why we have this celebration uh, rhythm of Sabbath. It's when you stop. It's when I stop. It's when I actually unplug for a couple days that I remember this is God's church and not my church. 
Like, it's got to keep going because if it's only going because of something I'm doing, then it's Rick's thing, and it probably should go away. As leaders, it's important to stop and to rest for two reasons. One is to, to remember who you are, that before God called you to use you, he called you to love you. And it's his church, it's his work, it's his home community, it's his ministry. And so you need to rest in just being his kid. But the second thing is you need to restore eagerness. You need a place where that can come back well back up within you. You know, when you think of Gary Friesen, he's eager to go to Africa. He doesn't have to. A lot of people could be thinking about great things to do when they retire, and he's, he's eager and willing to go. That, that's what we're talking about. Where where's that come from? And it comes from because before Gary was an elder or a teacher or worker, he just knows what it means to be a kid of the king, and he loves that and sharing that. So being able to stop and make sure, God, am I doing this because I'm eager to serve? Am I doing it uh, not to gain anything from people, but to give myself away to people? Dishonest gain, you know, when he talks about that, that, can, that doesn't have to be money. It could be I lead this small group because these people make me feel like I'm important. They make me feel like I'm needed. So when I, when I get done and they say good job, I feel, I feel like my identity needs have been met. The problem with that, and we're all susceptible to it, but the problem is, what happens when you have to give them bad news? What happens when you have to say sin is sin? What happens when you have to speak truth for Christ and they actually hate you, or they leave your group, or they don't like what you're doing? Then your whole identity gets thrown off and you're a bad person and you're, you're a mess. But it's having that kind of sense to say, I'm just I'm just the mailman. I'm here trying to deliver something from God. So don't kill me yet, but it's not good news, right? And I love you enough to tell you that, and it's going to hurt. The, the interaction can be hurtful, uh, but, but I'm trusting somehow that this is God's flock, and it's his gospel, it's his message, and, and, and we need to speak it as much as possible without getting ourselves in the way. So, being eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you. I want you to hear where Peter got this in Matthew chapter 25. It's written in a circle shape. <laughs> Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter had firsthand, upfront experience with Jesus, the chief shepherd. And he was taught over and over. He was rebuked at times saying, look, this is not a status thing. This is not for you to lord over people, to pretend like this title means something. The only reason it's been given it to you is so that you can serve and give yourself away. And so follow me, and I'll show you what that looks like. And the night before he goes to crucifixion, he washes Peter's feet, right? The king of kings humbly down there serving 
We have so many great people at this church, deacons and elders and people who are behind the scenes and you don't get to see it, but they deal with really difficult problems, decisions. They're involved in people's lives that are really in tough spots. And, and they're not doing it because they have a title. They're doing it because they're there to serve. And that's how Christ served us. And so that's how we're supposed to serve one another. And so he ends with, but be examples to the flock. I didn't know Gary would be here today. Uh, he didn't even tell us he was coming back from Africa. So, um, but man, when I think of what Peter's referring to here, it's like, it's Gary, right? What does it mean to be a leader? It's somebody who sits there at 62 years old and says, I'm going to teach till I'm 100. I'm going to give my life away and hopefully I'll be 100 years old and I've been doing it for 30 years when he was supposed to be retired. And, it's, and, and so Peter's saying, yeah, it's that. Find these people. Find what they're drinking and get a pint of that. Like, go with him where he goes. An example is the scariest one because... If any leader, any of you leading in this room said, can we just follow you around 24-7 and learn what it means to follow Jesus? We'd all just go, no, but what about the 15 minutes when I got it all together during the day? I'll, get, I'll, I'll Skype you that, and then we'll, we'll connect like in a month or so when I can get it back together again. It, it, it's what we're doing with our lives, how we understand time, how we understand our gifts, our resources, what work means to us. It's the whole package. It's raising our kids together. It's, it, it's looking at our life and saying, you could follow that. And it is so daunting. Um, I, I talk with people in leadership that have little kids, and their biggest fear is they're going to screw that up. And it's my biggest fear. And then people will look at some of my older kids who are doing good, and they'll be like, how'd you do that? I'm like, I have no clue how I did that. I, it's a lot of grace and a lot of prayer, and I don't know, right? I'd love to tell you the seven steps, and I can. I was trained to tell them to you. I just don't know if they work, right? But, but I know how to love my kids, and I know how to stay in it with them. Like, so, so when he says be an example, you have to understand how daunting that is to a leader. And yet it is the thing, it does motivate us. And you can see the areas in our life where we struggle, and you can see what it means to fail and to repent and ask forgiveness. It's not being an example in perfection. It's being an example in honest living with Jesus Christ. And that's what we're trying to do. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. And chief shepherd Again, he, he uses language. Chief shepherd, flock under the main shepherd. He's entrusted to you. This, this idea is that one day we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to give an account of how well we did in terms of leading people. It's why when people threaten to, to leave or whatever their agenda is, that that doesn't scare me or keep me up at night. Because what scares me is I have to stand before God for my, for my final eval, right, on how I did in my, as a shepherd. That scares me. 
I, I won't get to make a lot of excuses. And he said, well, you didn't know him, Jesus. He was really a pain in the rear. And that's probably why I did that really wrong. Um, it's none of that. I'm just going to be standing before God giving an account. And hopefully it'll be a day where all of us as leaders get to experience glory. But we will suffer with Jesus as we do it together. So that's a whole lot that he says to leaders. Then he turns around and he says, Now, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. That's all he says. So that's the easy job, right? Submission's not a, not a real popular word in our culture. I don't know if you figured that out. Um, and, and, and again, what Peter sees here is he doesn't see religious organizations. And so there's many of us who feel like, I don't want to submit myself to anybody. And I definitely don't want to submit myself to some church and some elder board somewhere that's making decisions for us. And the picture is, for Peter, is again one of family. And it doesn't mean that he's not speaking, because there's a lot of you who are older who aren't in leadership, and you're like, well, cool, we get off the, we get off the thing here. Uh, old doesn't mean not submissive. <laughs> it means that together, collectively, as a family, that as the pastors and elders, as they try to equip you for the work of the ministry, to try to help you receive the grace of Christ, understand how God's wired you uniquely, to send you into your workplaces, into your homes and your communities, to be the hands and feet and voice of Christ, to bring healing and love to each other, that you would go, yeah, I'm in with that. Let's do that thing. It's not that we would stand back and be hesitant and come and get our Jesus fix every now and then, but we'd actually be in the game together. And that the vision that Peter has is that collectively the church, when it's running on all cylinders, is a family that loves each other and, and expresses that love one to another and to God and to the world. And because that's happening, there are people who are being attracted to your father's kids that are coming home to Jesus because we're doing this well together. It means we need to take it out of a transactional mindset where I give you this, you come, and you do that, and then we all go back to our individuality. And we have a family mindset, and an organism mindset, that we're a body, and every part is really important. And it's really important that we, we function together and we work together. That if we're a family, it's really important that, that we're honoring, that we're loving, that we're growing together, that we're reproducing and meeting Lots of people who are coming to Christ, that we're serving and blessing the world together, that we're honoring every part of the family. It's so important. But to the extent that either the leader pulls back or the person in the church pulls back, we aren't really allowed to enter into the depths of what God has called us to. And for those of you who have risked and who have trusted and who have stepped in and go, yeah, I'm going to give you my time and my money and my life and we're going to live this thing out together, we've seen beautiful things happen in our lives personally but also in the city and in the church because the Spirit of God works through the people of God. And when the people of God are living faithfully to what God's called us to, magic happens. 
It's beautiful. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. It's Jesus present among us, in us, and through us. And so he ends with all of you. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Again, it's that picture of favor. We have experienced a lot of favor at Imago. Not that we haven't suffered or been through hard times or made huge mistakes because we have, but God has been very gracious and shown us a lot of favor. But the key to all of it, the only way this thing works at all, is that if every single one of us is humble, that we would clothe ourselves in the humility of Christ, that we would be willing to wash each other's feet, that no one would see themselves as better than the other. And one of the things that I've seen over my years in church is that there'll be little groups of people here and there. They might be in leadership. They might not. And they'll create fractions and they'll be divisive. And they'll find some pet issue, whatever it is, not an essential issue in terms of who Jesus is and the gospel. It'll be some other issue. And it might be really important. But they will use their righteous view of that issue and they will overturn God's clear call to love and humility, and they'll, they'll create division and be divisive. And then the church has to come, and we have to, and this conflict happens. And, and the, the thing that I will tell you that, that is just so devastating for the church is when that happens. And it happens not because somebody has the corner on the right view, it happens because we are not being humble. That no matter what your position is on debatable issues, there is no debate over the call to love each other and be humble. And so that means we will agree and disagree with each other, but we cannot disagree to love each other. We can be in tension over certain things, but we can't be in tension over the call to be humble before and with each other. And, and, and the options here are, do we want, as God's people at Imago Day to experience his favor, or do we want to experience his opposition? Because he will oppose the proud. It is a severe mercy, but he will do it. If anything about this table that we come to as brothers and sisters every week, it's a, it's a picture of Humility. It's a picture of a God who became flesh, who, who let his body be broken, who let his blood be shed, who suffered to serve us so that we could come home to the Father and be forgiven. He says, if you lead like that, and if you follow like that, then God will be present among us. He will bear beautiful fruit for his kingdom in our lives and through our lives. And that's the invitation, that as his people, we would be taken by him and blessed by him and broken by him and given by him. It's this Eucharistic picture of what it means to be a leader and what it means to be in the family of God, that we would trust that this pathway of Jesus that looks like suffering would actually lead to life. And so we're invited to this table together to celebrate as brothers and sisters before our Father and in the face of our King.
Would you pray with me? Father God, this morning I want to um, thank you for giving all the leaders that you have given to Imago, for the elders and pastors and deacons, for the, for the many people who serve and volunteer and who, God, who give themselves, who open their lives and their homes and their time to, to help shepherd your flock. And yet, Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit, you would search our hearts as leaders, that you would reveal any place where there is bitterness and blame, where we've lost the eagerness to serve and the passion for you, where we're, where we're working out of oughts and shoulds and musts and not want to and love. God, would they, would they feel your favor? And know what it is to, to be loved by you first. And then the joy of getting to serve you second. And for those here that, that, that are part of this community, God, would you give them the grace to commit their whole life to your work and your gospel? To not stand on the corners and the sidelines, but to really be in and experiencing all that you want to do. And would you clothe all of us with humility, God? None of us has the corner on all truth. But would you make us the kind of family that loves each other, that humbly serves one another, that declares the beauty of your family and your fatherhood to the world around us? And God, would we be characterized by people who love and love each other really well. So thank you for all that you've given us over these last few years. But God, would you give us more, like Gary's praying for himself, would you, would you give us more people in your family and, and more favor in your love? Would you heal us more and unite us more deeply together? Through the mercy and the beauty of Christ, our chief shepherd, we pray. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.